Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, Today is the 14th day of the month of Shvat in the Hebrew calendar, the 24th of January, 2024. Um, So let's go through a a few of the significant dates this week, and then we'll talk about some interesting things. So firstly, I'd like to mention that Monday was the 12th of Shvat, two days ago, and that was the anniversary in 1945 when the Russian army liberated Auschwitz. The gas chambers of Auschwitz II, which is called Birkenau, its real name is Birkenau or Auschwitz II, were blown up by the Germans in November 1944 in an attempt to hide their crimes. In January 1945, the Nazis began to evacuate Auschwitz. Most of the prisoners were ordered on a death march, which lasted for weeks in the cold and snow. In the end, some 7,000 people survived Auschwitz and over 1 million people perished. Isn't that unbelievable? So on Monday was the the anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz by Russian troops. And it was a place that murdered a million Jews. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners have been to Auschwitz. I've been there. It's a very moving and powerful experience. Uh, One falls short of words to describe the emotions and the feelings when you stand there, you stand at the site of those gas chambers. There is still in, in Auschwitz one, there still is a small gas chamber that you walk through. The main killing machine factory of murder was in Birkenau, Auschwitz two. And as mentioned, the Nazis blew it up, the gas chamber, but you stand on the site of the gas chamber and gosh, it is just the most unbelievable feeling. You, a place where so many millions of Jews were mur- murdered. Rabbi Chaim Kamniewski says that a place where Jews were murdered, Al-Kiddush Hashem, were murdered sanctifying God's name, which means they are murdered because they are Jews, is a makom kadosh. And you feel the kadosh, you feel the holiness and the power of that place. It's, it's really indescribable. Um, we see that Elon Musk and Ben Shapiro just... Uh, just visited Auschwitz and they spoke about what they saw and what they felt, which was also very powerful to hear their reflections. But it's important in our time, in the modern world today, who would have ever imagined that 80 years later, we see the Jews are once more demonized. We see the Jews are blamed for things that they are not guilty of. We see the blood libels against the Jewish people. It's quite unbelievable when we turn to the media of today, the mainstream liberal media, how the libels against the Jews have come back. We're accused of genocide. It's such a false accusation. It's it's really not true. And if one looks at the situation in the Middle East and in Gaza, Israel is the furthest thing from being guilty of genocide. Um, If Israel were guilty of genocide, uh, the Palestinians took over Gaza in 2005, where Israel unilaterally gave Gaza back to complete Palestinian rule. It's uh, the false accusations of the largest open-air prison in the world 
are complete lies. Uh, the people in Gaza were given total autonomy. The only thing that Israel controlled were the um, shipping and the um, items coming in and out because they didn't want arms to be brought in to be used against Israel. But otherwise, there was complete and total independence in Gaza. The Palestinian people voted in Hamas in 2007. And uh, since then, the population of Gaza has grown by one million people. So if Israel was interested in genocide, they're, uh, they're doing a very bad job because uh, Gaza's population has grown. And even now that the war is on, to accuse Israel of genocide is unfair and is false. If you followed the kangaroo court of the ICJ and the case that the Israeli um, those that represented Israel put forward was very clear and very compelling. Um, and uh, it's, uh, Israel is involved in a war against a, a terrorist organization that wants to wipe Israel off the map. Israel has no choice but to remove Hamas from power. Otherwise, October the 7th will happen again and again. And Israel is doing so with, with a tremendous amount of care for civilian casualties. It's not Israel's fault that Hamas have taken hostage hundreds of Israelis. There's still over 100 held captive by Hamas. And Hamas deliberately hides amongst the civilian, civilian population, deliberately attacks Israel and fires rockets on our cities from civilian populations. Israel has no choice. They have to weed out Hamas and destroy them. And unfortunately, there are civilian casualties, which is sad and which is tragic, but 100% the fault of Hamas and Hamas is responsible for every single casualty, both Israeli and Palestinian, as a result of their, um, their absolutely disgusting behavior and the terrible crimes they commit against humanity by hiding amongst the civilian population. Hamas is guilty. It's Hamas's fault. It's not Israel's fault. And even so, Israel proceeds with absolute caution to try and minimize civilian casualties to accuse Israel of genocide is false, is anti-Semitic, is liable against the Jewish people, and is something that is very, very concerning in our times. And so most people don't really know the nuances, the ins and outs, the facts on the ground. And so when they turn on their television and watch CNN or BBC or Al Jazeera, and Israel is terribly and in a very biased way demonized by the mainstream media, so people believe it, and they believe that Jews are now guilty of genocide and Jews are participating in ethnic cleansing in the Middle East, which is a, a, a false and terrible accusation and something that is very concerning. But uh, we hope that people are smarter than that and will see through the bias of the media and will understand that Israel has no choice at all but to defend herself and to defend her citizens. And she does so with a dignity and with respect for human life and with great focus on minimizing civilian casualties over there. So, um, unfortunately, we see the terrible environment which brought about the Holocaust. It's, we, we're seeing similar accusations in the world today, which is of great distress for every Jew and something that's dangerous and concerning. But nonetheless, we need to know the justice of our cause and be fully aware of these dangers and where they lead, as they did in um, in the Second World War, in the Holocaust. Um, and uh, please God, there should never be uh, further 
atrocities and genocide against the Jewish people um, in our modern day. So that's uh, the 12th of Shvat, which was Monday. Let's move on and talk about today. Today is the 14th of Shvat. Today is the yacht site of Rav Yaakov Yoshua Falk, otherwise known as the Pnei Yoshua. He was born in 1680. He died in the year 1756. And the Pnei Yeshua is a brilliant commentary on the Talmud. His insights and his explanations are essential for every Talmudic scholar, um, a man of great holiness and great genius, Rabbi Yoshua Falk. Today also, the Fodent of Shvat, is the Yotzat of Rabbi Arya Kaplan. Rabbi Arya Kaplan was born in 1934 in the United States. He died in 1983 on this day. And he is the author um, who inspired many thousands of Jews to return to Jewish observance. Rabbi Arya Kaplan was a physicist, and he applied the same analytical approach to the study of metaphysics, to his study of Judaism. He possessed an encyclopedic command of Jewish literature, and he produced 50 books on philosophy, Jewish law, and Kabbalah. The Jewish world mourned his very premature death at the young age of 48. So today is the Yotzat of Arya Kaplan, Rabbi Arya Kaplan. Tomorrow, from tonight, from sunset tonight, um, until sunset tomorrow, is the 15th of Shvat. The 15th of Shvat is Tubi Shvat. So please stay with us. We'll discuss Tubi Shvat when we return. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. The 15th of Av, tonight and tomorrow. The 15th of, not of Av, the 15th of Shvat, Tubishvat. And Tubishvat is an uh, interesting day in the calendar. Tubishvat is brought in the Mishnah Rosh Hashanah, that's Rosh Hashanah Le'ilanos, that it's the beginning of the year for trees. And um, technically, it's the day when trees stop absorbing water from the ground and instead draw nourishment from their sap. In Jewish law, this means that fruit which has blossomed prior to the 15th of Shvat could not be used as tithe for fruit which blossomed after that date. So there's something called Misa uh, Perus, that you give a certain amount of your fruit to the base amigdash, to the temple, during temple times. And even today we separate tithes uh, if we live in the land of Israel. And so those fruits that are separated before 15th of Shvat can't be grouped with those uh, tithes that are separated for fruits after 15th of Shvat. It's the cutoff point. The custom on Tubi Shvat is to eat fruits from the seven species for which the land of Israel is praised. As the Pasuk, the Torah says, in Deuteronomy, the Vorim Ches, chapter 8, verse number 8, the Pasuk says, Eretz Chita Usoirat, the land of wheat and of barley, the Gefen Uta'ena Verimon, a land of grapes, Gefen is the vine, Uta'ena is figs, Verimon is pomegranates, um, Eretz Zais Shemen Udvash, a land of olive oil, which is referring to um, olives, right? And Dvash is honey which is date honey. So we see the land of Israel is praised for two types of grain and five types of fruit. And so we make a great effort on Tubishvat to eat from those seven species, from those two grains and from the five types of fruit, wherever possible. 
And we, it's a day of rejoicing, Tubishvat, because the Jewish people have a very powerful and strong connection to the land of Israel. The love for our land runs very deeply within the heart and soul of the Jewish people. And our right to the land is greater than any other nation's right to whatever land they're on. Because as the first Rashi Bereshi said, God created the world. God can, Hashem created the world. That's how the Torah starts. And God, therefore, who's the creator and owner of the world, can decide which land he gives to which people. God promised the land of Israel to Abraham, to Avram Avinu, and to Sarah Imenu. And ever since then, since Avram and Sarah and Lechlecha left where they were in Ur-Kastim and went to the land of Canaan, so the Jewish people and the descendants of Abraham have always been on the land. And it means we have a three and a half thousand year connection to the land of Israel. The nations that were in the land when Abraham arrived have all fallen away. None of them are left. And the Palestinians that are now in the land of Israel, they haven't been there for more than a century or two, as opposed to the Jewish people, which is really a, a hard fact. If you study history, you can see these facts are correct. Whereas the Jewish people have been there for thousands of years. So our claim to the land is strong and is legitimate and is valid. And the Jewish people have a very deep, powerful connection to the land of Israel. And therefore, on Tubishvat, we celebrate the land. We celebrate the fact that the rains have fallen and the soil is saturated with the nutrients that are needed now for the coming year. And the cutoff point of the fruit that blossoms for tithes is this day is to be shvat. And, uh, and uh, that's why it's a day of rejoicing and a day when we try and have from those seven species for which the land of Israel is, is praised in the Torah. I read an interesting article by a woman by the name of Reva Kent. She lives in Jerusalem. And she wrote uh, some wonderful lessons that we can learn as human beings from trees. As uh, the Pasuk in Devarim, the chapter in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy says, that a human being is like the tree of the field. That is in chapter 20, verse 19 of the Varim of Deuteronomy. A human being is a tree of the field, is compared to a tree of the field. So there's some beautiful references and lessons we can learn as human beings from a tree. The first one being that fertile grounds um, for growth. Trees demand and depend on their environment for their well-being. They get their nutrients, water, and vital minerals from the soil they are planted in. In rich, fertile soil, trees thrive because they have all they need to grow strong and be healthy. If they are planted in poor, poor quality soil, they won't get enough nutrients and the growth will be stunted. The same is true for humans. Our surroundings significantly influence our growth and development. The environments that we place ourselves in, whether it's where we live, work, or who we interact with, play a vital role in shaping us. Um, one that, as it says in Proverbs, one who walks with the wise will become wise, but one who associates with the fools will suffer. When we place ourselves in positive environments and spend time with supportive individuals, who inspire us to be our best, we are more likely to flourish and succeed. So just like the tree where we are planted, that will determine how we grow and develop in human beings. 
And therefore, we should be careful to choose the right environment to be in and to place ourselves in a nurturing, rich environment that will encourage our growth and pull ourselves away from a negative environment that will uh, pull us down and stunt our growth. Second lesson that we can learn from the tree is just as trees anchor themselves with roots that provide stability and access to essential nutrients, humans rely on foundational values, beliefs, and relationships that ground us and nourish our growth. Nourish our growth. Our roots are deeply intertwined with the rich soil of our family traditions, cultural heritage, community bonds, and for many, the profound teachings and history of our Jewish faith. These roots serve as a source of wisdom and guidance, nurturing our souls and shaping our identity. Learning from the past not only anchors us in the world, but also provides us with a deep sense of belonging, connection, and self-understanding. So it's important as Jews that we connect with our roots, that we are in touch with our roots, and that we um, are able to draw from our roots, which will give us stability, which will give us strength, and will give us the ability to face the storms that we may face in our lives. So that's the second lesson that we can learn from the trees. Firstly, place yourself in fertile soil, be in touch with your roots, and ensure you've got strong, healthy, vibrant roots that will help you deal with developing and growing in your life. And thirdly, we learn from a tree the art of slow growth. Trees live on a different time scale than humans. They thrive on patience, taking years or even decades to reach maturity, adding only a few inches or a few feet each year. A tree doesn't rush, focusing instead on building strong branches and deep root systems. The slow growth of trees reminds us that good things take time, just as a fruit ripening on a branch. We can't go from zero to hero and achieve all our aspirations overnight. Rather, we need to embrace gradual, sustained growth and prioritize long-term goals over instant gratification. Patience leads to lasting success, just like a mature oak towering for centuries. In honor of Tuvishvats, let's make conscious efforts to apply some of these life lessons that trees teach us. Plant ourselves in the right place, be in touch with our roots and foundations, and be patient and ensure that we grow on a gradual and consistent basis. Okay, I want to now turn to some powerful ideas that we learned from this week's Torah reading, this week's Pasha. This week we read Pasha's Beshalach. Shalach is known as Shabbos Shira because we, it's the parasha in which the Jewish people sang that beautiful song at sea and praised God for the incredible miracle of saving them at the hands of the Egyptian army. So the first lesson I want to share with you comes from the great and holy Osameach, Rav Meir Simcha of Dvinsk. The, uh, he, he writes this in his sefer called Meshach Chochma. Rav Meir Simcha was... Um, one of the great leading rabbis in Europe in the 19th century. And uh, the Osamach institutions were founded after him. They, they decided he never had any children of Masim. He and his wife were not blessed with children. Um, but he was a great genius who inspired many thousands of Jews, especially with his work called Osamach and Meshachachma, which is on the Torah, Osamach is on the Rambam. And so the founders of the Osamach Yeshiva in Jerusalem said that 
his children will be the students that come through their institution. I myself am a student of Osamachi Shiva, and so therefore, in uh, in the words of the Rosh Shiva, I'm therefore a Talmud, a student of Rabbi Simcha. So, so it's a great honor and pleasure to share some of his Torah. So he asks the question of Rabbi Simcha. He says that we see that when the Jewish people arrived at the sea, so the Torah tells us that the water was like a wall for them. And the, the water was, you know, the waves came high and it seemed to be impossible to go into the sea. And the Midrash tells us that the angels said to God at that moment, um, that these people worship idols and these people, the Egyptians worship idols. In other words, why do the Jewish people merit to be saved at the sea? They do not have the spiritual merits necessary to save them and their level, their spiritual level is quite indistinguishable to that of the Egyptians who are also idol worshippers. And that's why the Hashem allowed the angels to cause the sea to be like a wall and seem to be very daunting to the Jewish people who now had arrived at the sea. So Rav Meir Simcha, the Meshachachma, he asks in his Sefer Meshachachma an interesting question. He says, why now do the angels, the Malachim, come to Hashem with this accusation against the Jewish people. This is already, we're already nine months into the process over here. There have been tremendous miracles that have been happening in Egypt up until now, for those nine months. There have been the ten plagues. So why only now do the angels protest to Hashem that the Jewish people don't deserve a miracle to save them because they are also idol worshippers? And the Meshachachma answers. He says, because there's a consistent principle, and that is that very often when we are viewed as a people, as a nation, as Klal Yisrael, we could be saved even though we don't merit to be saved. Because since we are associating ourselves with and we are part of the Klal, we are part of the people, the Jewish people, and the merits of our ancestors, of our illustrious patriarchs and matriarchs uh, stand for us or to our benefit, will protect us. The merits of Klai Yisrael and the great and holy people in the history of Klai Yisrael will be our merit. So therefore we could deserve to be saved and see miracles and enjoy our shame's protection, even though on an individual level we don't deserve it. So that is one of the great powers of Klai Yisrael and one of the secrets of the survival of Klai Yisrael. So it says the Meshachachma. So if we are part of the Klai, if we associate ourselves with Klai Yisrael, and we merit to be called a part of Klai Yisrael, so then miracles can be performed on our behalf, even if we as an individual don't deserve those, those miracles. And says the Meshachachma, that's actually what happened up until that point in Egypt. Up until that point, when Moses came, and he said to the people, I'm coming to save you and redeem you. And the people did tshuva, and the people were united, and the people stood behind Moshe Rabbeinu. And since now they were a united nation, even though they may not have had the individual spiritual merits to, for them to deserve to come out with the great miracles that Hashem performed, but since they're part of Klai Yisrael, they're a unified whole of a nation, they merited to be saved. 
And therefore, the angels didn't have an opening and an opportunity to come with this accusation because now they were a single entity of Kleshel. Although you can say that there were parts of Kleshel which were not united. And those are the ones who died, the 80% that died in the plague of darkness, as we spoke about last week. But those 20% that were saved were united, were cohesive, were a single unit, and therefore they merited to be saved. And therefore, the angels couldn't come with the accusation against them. But when they reached the sea, says Rabbi Meir Simcha, they were no longer united. And our sages tell us that there were different groupings of Klaishal. There was a lot of fraction. Some said, we're going to die. What did Hashem do to us? How could Hashem do this to us? Let's go back to Egypt. And some said, no, we have to stand and fight. And some said, well, let's go into the sea. Hashem's telling us to go into the sea. We have to go into the sea. So there was a lot of division and a lot of uh, dissent in the people. And therefore, we didn't enjoy this unity anymore. And we were not a single nation, but we were a fractious group of people. And when you're a fractious group of people, you're judged on your own merits and not on the merits of the Klal of Klal Yisrael. And therefore, the angels now have an opening and we don't deserve divine protection and divine miracles. And therefore, that's why it is now that the Jewish people um, faced this this terrible fate, this great danger, and this accusation that the angels made. And so it's a great, a very powerful lesson for us. And that is that on an individual level, we certainly need Hashem's protection and Hashem's blessings. If we don't think we need Hashem's protection, we're living in a fantasy world. We are really not in touch with reality. Because as we know, our bodies are so fragile. So much can go wrong with the human body as we see all the time around us. The hospitals are filled with individuals that things have not got, are, are, are problematic. And we are very delicate, fragile creatures. And we look around us and we see the world around us and we see how, how precarious it is. So without Hashem's blessing, our chances of success are very low. We all need Hashem's blessings and therefore we need to connect ourselves to the Jewish people. And it'll be a part of Klai Yisrael we need to ensure that we are a vibrant member of the club of Israel. And we need to attach ourselves to our Jewish identity. Um, I think in the last three months, many Jews have seen um, that they are not welcome by the nations of the world. Jews that thought that they were part of the fraternity of nations and that anti-Semitism was not an issue and that they would be accepted and absorbed into the movements and into the organizations and into the uh, worldview of many of the, of the non-Jews. But many have been very disillusioned these last three months and seen that anti-Semitism is alive and well. And, you know, for the first time in my lifetime, it's trendy to be anti-Semitic. It's cool to associate oneself with the, those that had Israel and those that wanted to destroy Israel. On college campuses, it's cool to stand up and, and be supportive of Hamas, which is absolutely unbelievable. A, a group of people that want to murder and rape and kill Jews and, and, and burn Jewish babies alive. And it's cool for students to support such monsters. It's crazy times we're living in. So we see that as Jews, we need to associate ourselves with the Jewish people. We need to um, be proud of our Jewish identity. We need to 
cling to the Jewish people, be a part of the Jewish people. If we do so, so we'll see that we'll be zoich on an, we'll merit on an individual level and on a national level, great miracles. And also for the safety of the Jewish people. The Jewish people as a whole are under threat right now. The world is turning against us. The world is very biased and very um, prejudiced against the Jewish people, which we see everywhere. For us to, we need Hashem's protection and Hashem's help to protect our soldiers, protect the the people of Israel, the civilians of Israel, take Jews all over the world. And so we do so by having shalom, by being united, by not being bale machloikas, people that are looking for arguments and for, for division and for fraction, but rather by being people of peace, by not speaking Russian horror, by being a unified whole as a nation. That is very important right now, something that we all need to work on. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. The final idea I want to share with you also comes from this week's Torah reading. Parshish B'Shalach tells us about the manna, the man that the Jewish people um, were fed in the desert. And the verse tells us in Peraktes Zion, Pasuk Dalet, Chapter 16, verse 4. Hashem said to I'm going to cause to fall from the heavens bread. And the nation will go out and gather day in, day out. In order to test you. Are you walking with my Torah, with my ways, with my laws, or are you not walking with my laws? The manna was a great test for the Jewish people. Even though the manna was absolutely miraculous, it was incredible, um, this unbelievable thing that happened to the Jewish people, that Hashem sent food from the heavens. Uh, the, the, the Ramban explains the manna as ziv hashchina shenit gashem that it's the divine glow that manifested in the physical sense in the world. That's, how, that's what the manna was. Uh, the manna was a, incredibly spiritual in, the, in, in terms of it being an indication of a person's spiritual level. In other words, if a person was doing well and, uh, and growing and fulfilling their spiritual responsibilities and potential, so then the manna would fall right next to their tent. As they left out the tent, their portion of manna would be there. But if a person was not doing so well, a person spoke some Loshan horror or did some other transgression, the manna would be a little bit further down the road. They'd have to walk around the block to get their manna. So the, the uh, Kotzka Rebbe says that where your manna was was an indication to how you were doing spiritually, which was you know, quite a, a revelation for everybody. The manna tasted exactly wanted how you wanted it to taste. So if you felt like having pizza, it would taste like pizza. If you imagined in your mind having sushi, it would taste like sushi. If you imagined in your mind steak or bultong, so that's how the manna would taste. So although it was tremendously miraculous, it was supernatural, this food that fell from the heavens every day, nonetheless, it was a great test for the Jewish people. Rashi said it was a test. Would they follow the halachas of the manna, that they'd only be able to uh, take enough for what they needed, not for the next day? 
They wouldn't have to. Wouldn't have, weren't allowed to leave any over for the next day. They'd have to consume it all, or that they couldn't go out on Shabbos. They'd have a double portion, a lechem mission on Friday. That's what Rashi means by that by that part of the pasuk. That it's a test to see if you're following the ways of the Torah. The Ramban disagrees. The Ramban says the test of the manna was to see whether they trusted in Hashem. That although it was a tremendous test for Klai Yisrael, that the whole nation of three million people were being fed every day by Hashem. Would they continue to trust in Hashem and be able to accept that Hashem controls the world and Hashem would be the one who would sustain them? So we see from this two beautiful and powerful lessons, the relevant lessons for us today. The first one is that we need to learn to trust Hashem, that we need to learn to let things go and realize that there is a pilot to this plane that there's a creator of the universe, that whatever we're going through and experiencing is part and a necessary essential part of our journey, of our growth, of our development as human beings. Nothing is coincidental. Nothing is random. Everything that happens to us, big and small, good and bad, is part of the hand that God deals us, is tailor-made for our neshama, for our soul, is what we need to experience in order to develop and grow. And we then choose, am I going to take this situation, the circumstance, this ordeal, and help it build me? Am I going to be better from it? Or will it pull me down? And will it pull me away from my greatness and my potential? And that's how life is. And even though there are difficulties and there are disappointments and there are challenges, we need to learn to trust in Hashem. That was the great test of the Jewish people that the manna presented for them in the desert. And that's our great test today. Our great test today is although here in South Africa, certainly for the Jewish people, we're facing very uncertain times. We are not sure where things will go. Our government has chosen to side with our enemies in a very overt and um, confrontational way for us. So it's a challenging time for the South African Jewish community. But we need to be rational about our circumstances. We need to look at our situation. We need to look at our community and how incredible our community is. And there are still economic opportunities here in South Africa. We have to look at what other places offer relative to what South Africa offers. In other words, don't be too em emotional and don't panic and trust that Hashem runs the world and we need to make rational decisions. Each person makes their own decisions but based on the facts and based on their circumstances and based on reality, not based on panic and on fear. And we need to look at our situation in Eretz Israel and the circumstances for the Jews in Eretz Israel. We need to look at the general consistent message that we're getting from all of the Galus, from all of the exile. Jews, wherever they find themselves today in the world, are not comfortable and secure and safe, whether you're in Sydney, or whether you're in Toronto, or whether you're in Paris, or London, or New York, or LA, we've seen very clearly that our enemies have taken to the streets and are shouting slogans about the destruction of the Jewish people, about genocide against the Jewish people. So it's very disconcerting for us. But nonetheless, we trust in Hashem, we understand that we ha there's a journey that we're on, and we have our role to play in this journey. And we trust that Hashem will help us, will look after us, will protect us, 
and will lead us to where we're supposed to go. And so we don't panic. We have bitachon and trust in Hashem. And each day of our existence is a great gift from God. And it's a great miracle. So just like the manna was a test for the Jewish people, we face our own tests in our faith and in our trust in Hashem. So that's the first powerful lesson that we learned from the manna. We'll learn a second lesson when we return in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. The first test that we've learned from the manna is to learn to trust in Hashem, is to learn that Hashem runs the world and to fulfill our mission in God's world. And whatever happens, it is for a purpose, and it's God's will, and it is for the good. The second important lesson that we learn from the manna is that the daily accomplishments of an individual is of what is valuable. That which builds us is what we do day in, day out. As the Torah says, Dvar yom b'yomo. It's a matter of day in, day out. And our growth and our development needs to be on those lines, on those terms that we are consistent, that we are steady, that we are strong and reliable, and, um, and we continue to move forward in a balanced and, um, and an appropriate way where we keep at the job at hand day in, day out. I remember when I was in yeshiva, um, a very wise man said to me, you know, often people uh, come in and come out and people are smart and they... They jump the levels quickly, and it looks like, you know, they're racing past everybody. So he said to me one day, he said, this is a hare's game. The hare um, is not the one who wins the race. It's the tortoise that wins the race. If you remain consistent and ensure that you develop and grow and move forward gradually, as we said, one of the lessons of the tree from Tubishvat is our growth is slow and steady and gradual. So then you'll get to the finish line. And very often the hare who races past us doesn't actually make it to the finish line. And that is one of the lessons of manna, dvar yom bayomo, that every day we need to be at it. Every day as a Jew, where every Jewish male puts on tefillin every day and attaches himself to Hashem. Every Jew says shema morning and evening. And his makabal omachu shemaim, we accept upon ourselves the yoke of the heavenly kingdom, that God is one, there's a creator, and everything in the world is part of God's creation. And we submit ourselves to the kingdom of heaven. Every Jew, on a consistent basis, keeps Shabbos Kodesh. And Shabbos is a zeichel Every seventh day, we remember that God created the world in six days. And on the seventh day, God abstained from creative activity. If we stay, stick to the job at hand, day in, day out, we will get there. We will reach our goal and achieve our spiritual potential. You know, we live in a sensationalist world and we all want the big play and we, you know, it's the headlines and it's the dramatic things that are important and those um, regular routine aspects of our lives, day in, day out, they, they, we push them aside as being insignificant. The Torah tells us that's wrong. The Torah is telling us it's tvar yom b'yomo, our development, our growth, our greatness comes from our consistent, gradual, daily achievements that we do day in, day out. And so that's how we develop as human beings spiritually. We fulfill the mitzvahs, 
on a daily basis. We daven, we learn, we keep the mitzvahs day in, day out. It's not sensationalist. It's not this big, grand, spectacular extravaganza. It's the hard ground on the ground on a daily basis. And that's where our greatness comes. And if we do that successfully, so that shows that we are walking with the Torah and that we are loyal to Hashem's commandments and to Hashem's will for us. So please, God, we should be zeichet to be holech b'toyrasi. We should fulfill Hashem's will on a daily basis. And we should merit to see the protection for the Jewish people through our unity. And please, God, see the coming of the Goyal Tzedek. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.